0: Hello travellers, I'm Jo Frances Penn and in today's show I'm talking to Toby Neal about a midlife journey through the national parks of the USA. But it's much more than just some of the places to visit, it's more of a discussion on why midlife causes us to face some of the deeper questions and how travel can help us find our way again as well as the challenges we inevitably face along the way. We also talk about the spiritual aspects of being in nature, and because Toby is a friend of mine, we both talk quite openly about our experiences of fear and anxiety, as well as awe and wonder. If you'd like to hear more from Toby, I interviewed her about Freckled, her first memoir about growing up wild in Hawaii, in episode 11. I hope you enjoy our discussion today. Toby Neal is an award-winning USA Today best-selling author of mysteries, thrillers, and romance, as well as travel memoir under T.W. Neal. She's also a mental health therapist. And today we're talking about Open Road, a midlife memoir of travel through the national parks of the USA. Welcome back to the show, Toby.
1: So good to be talking with you again, Joanna. Thank you.
0: Oh, no, I'm very excited. And our, our last show, we talked about Hawaii. And today we're we're on the open road, which is very exciting. But before we get into the national parks, I want to dive straight in and ask you, because you open the book with a sort of discussion of midlife and the, the book title includes the word midlife. So what is it about midlife that made you want to escape and go on the road? Because I certainly feel this need quite often at the moment as I go through this myself.
1: Well, I can tell you that the subtitle is a midlife memoir of travel through the national parks. And I felt that it was tough to follow up my first memoir, Freckled. Uh, I needed a reason and a framework to talk about how I had reached midlife. And the biggest thing that was happening was that my initial quest to have a normal, quote, quote, life, had resulted in a physical breakdown by the time I was 50. And I talk about that a moment in a doctor's office laying on my back when I was having this physical uh, assessment, and looked over and saw this calendar of the National Parks of the United States. And It was a picture of Bryce Canyon, which is very iconic. And I had this moment of just intense longing to not only be somewhere else than where I was physically, but where I was physically, if you know what I mean, Mm. on the two levels of taking my body somewhere and getting a different body back. The body that I had given up in my quest for normal middle class life 12 years of of achieving all my degrees and and working three jobs and finally owning our home and achieving all the things that I wanted to as a child who grew up with an unstable home and in poverty so it was this reckoning point where I could continue going down the road I was and I knew that my life would be shortened and impacted or I could live a more risky life and try to fulfill dreams and some of them were going to be about having physical experiences like witnessing Bryce Canyon with my own eyes.
0: And do you think that there's something about moving and something about travel that helps us deal with these difficult times. Like personally, I'm at that point in my midlife where I'm waking up at sort of 2 a.m. and just thinking, I just want to escape. I want to be moving. Mm-hmm. I want to be mm-hmm. somewhere else. And somehow it mm-hmm. feels like that experience might help us shift. I mean, maybe it just breaks the pattern of our daily mm-hmm. life. Is is that mm-hmm. is that kind of what you are after?
1: That's exactly that's exactly it. You put your finger on it perfectly. Uh, that travel is a metaphor you know, it's a metaphor for where we want to be emotionally with our physical body and spiritually um, and mentally while you're traveling, you're completely absorbed in that. And, and I, I know you mentioned doing uh, some long hikes yourself. And, mm. and I wrote about that in open road that some of the long hikes we took where you, you enter this sort of Zen like place where there is nothing but the trail and the breath and the steps and the being in this moment. And I feel like modern life uh, robs us of that. It's, it's so heady. It's so distracted. It's so filled with voices and pulling, pulling, pulling different obligations. And there's a part of us that, especially as we, as we enter a time of really seeing that we are mortal you know, Mm -hmm. and there's no escaping that little cliff that we're all going to drop off at some point that we know we want to have fully lived, to have fully, fully lived and have take that step with no regrets. So I think to me, that's what travel calls to the most is what we've lived long enough to know that we can't take it with us when we go all we can take is our memories and our experiences and the connections we made with people and that's what travel is about. Mm. and that that being in the moment i think that's really
0: important and and you have obviously you write about the the beautiful places and we'll talk about that in a minute but i also love your description of camping woman. <laughs> which is you know when you're when you don't worry about makeup you know maybe you don't even look in the mirror and it's like Mm -hmm. okay and I feel like sometimes when you're camping for example having a shower even in cold water when you've been out in the heat or whatever coming back to basics that when you're at home you just take these things for granted and Mm -hmm. yet when Mm -hmm. you're traveling the basic things become so precious I guess
1: Absolutely. You're so right about that. I think that that's what we're talking about is living a more conscious life. So on the one level, it's about having experiences, but it's about noticing that we're having experiences. And that's what travel writing, the, the most powerful and impactful travel writing is about, sharing that experience with others in a way that deepens our own experience if that makes sense.
0: Mm, Yeah, the the noticing by sharing it with others. And you talk about maybe helping people through your writing uh, and this Mm -hmm. vicarious experience. So let's get into the national parks, uh, because obviously I'm in the UK. So we're talking about the national parks of the USA. And Mm -hmm. so obviously you saw this picture of Bryce Canyon. But what drew Mm -hmm. you to the national parks? And what were some of, I guess, the most beautiful places where you were like, yeah, that's what I wanted?
1: Well, it could, I couldn't talk about that without mentioning that I lived on the side of Haleakala, which is one of the most, the jewels in the crown of our national parks. And Haleakala on Maui is a absolutely gorgeous uh, volcanic setting at the top of a mountain 10,000 feet up. And I had lived there for 20 years, Joanna, and never... <laughs> gone into the canyon, never done anything but stand at the rim and take a picture, never and and I felt like I could not embark on some other journey without exploring the national park that I lived literally 2 miles from the the, the edge of it, you know. So that's how the book starts is our very first heavy duty hike and of course my husband and I are in terrible shape at that point you know I'm 30 pounds overweight and he, he just had a, a shoulder replacement I've got a tricky hip and a bad back and we're carrying 30 pound packs down a six mile trek and in, in deep sand and this is um this is just foolhardy <laughs> on the one level And on the other level, as I went on to experience, not only did that hike inspire a suspense book, which I wrote as a result of this encounter we had with these crazy hikers where we were double booked in this cabin and there's absolutely no communication, no way to resolve the problem. And they were getting quite aggressive and we were there first. And and then I realized, this is the perfect setup for another kind of like crime level, you know, novel. And I ended up writing a book that was inspired by the hike, but it wasn't just that it was that when we stay on the easy trail, when we just look out the Vista and take a picture like a a million tourists before, yes, that's better than nothing. But when we put on our pack and get down into the place where it's really uncomfortable you're going to have these rewards that are just priceless. They're just, they're incredible. And something in me as I get older just keeps wanting more of that, more of that, more of that, not less of it.
0: Yeah, the, I think the, the healing aspect of nature is so important. And in fact, m- my husband and I, we have this kind of rule that if you want to get away from the crowd, you just need to go more than 500 meters from food. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's so good. I'm gonna tell my husband that one because it's absolutely what we experience in the national parks too. It's yeah, so like wherever you, yeah. the, the kiosk is for food, that then that, that, yeah, that's where you re-entered the human race yeah exactly and if you
0: want to get away you don't have to get that far you just have to get further mm-hmm. away so you can't just grab a snack um but let's um coming back to the various national parks obviously you visited quite a lot and I know you've got another trip but were there just some that really stand out in your mind or any particular moments where anything that stands out in your mind uh
1: I have to say that Zion is National Park in Utah turned out to be our favorite. And uh, the reason being, it was so immediate. So when you're going to a bunch of national parks, you you notice that some of them can only be fully appreciated by deep hiking or riding a horse like Bryce. You have those beautiful views from on top of the canyon. But if you're going to have anything more than that, you have to do a a really steep and rather unpleasant deep hike into the canyon or take a horse, which we ended up doing. And then you're pretty much done. It, it It's there, it's that, it's over. It's not big. Zion, um, the whole park is designed as an experience. So I talk about that in the book, that there was, it was built in the 1930s as part of the after the depression in the United States as part of a work project to get people to work. But there was some really fantastic architects that helped design the route through the park and then built items in the park. And I talk about the female architect, Mary Coulter, who I was completely unaware of until I saw the structures that she designed. And they were so forward thinking that when I went into these into, for instance, the Watchtower, now I'm jumping to the National Park. But she also, okay, I got off track and went to a different National Park in my mind. (laughs) I'm talking about the Grand Canyon now. But this this element of architectural wonder, um, this marriage of human manifestation around a natural wonder, it's captured in certain parks really well and they're super accessible to all levels of fitness. So Zion is one such park. Uh, so is Yosemite in California. Again, that, there's a reason why they're very well trafficked and crowded at different times of the year. The, the trick is to go in the off season. So we, our favorite time is September, October. Uh, the children are back in school. Things are cooling off and the crowds are not as, as intense. We went back to Zion twice because the, day, the, the, the time that we had spent there wasn't enough. And another one that I'd like to go to again is Glacier National Park in Montana. It's full of different features. So that's what draws me to certain parks more than others. They don't just have one feature like Bryce, you know, where it's a stunning view and this one canyon with the hoodoos. And Hmm. that's pretty much it. But, you know, Glacier has lakes and hikes and the what the um, what did they call it, the the wailing wall, not the wailing wall. It, it's this waterfall wall that goes for miles where uh glacier melt is pouring out of the quartz and, and running down alongside this precipitous road that you can only take in a, in a regular automobile. And it's so stunning and so different. And then you've got, and then you've got this, and then you've got that. So again, The parks with more features and more different kinds of experiences, to me, are the most intriguing. Yeah, that
0: variety, I think is really interesting. And then I wanted to ask you about the spiritual aspects. And I've definitely had some, what I would call spiritual moments, being out in nature, often alone. And it's so fascinating, because in in Freckle, in the first book, you talk about how you met your husband on a Christian camp, and you Mm -hmm. were a Christian couple, and you were, I guess, quite religious at at a point. Mm -hmm. And yet in this book, you're talking more about a spirituality in nature. So what were the, what was the spiritual aspect of the journey and how has that
1: changed over time? Well, I think I've just moved away from a more formalized religion where um, the rules are sort of handed to you and to a, which I, I needed at one time in my life. I, I would consider myself always have been a spiritual seeker. And if you read my parents were too. They were just always trying on the latest, uh, the latest cults or you know a guru of the week. and I grew up in, a, in an environment of spiritual seeking. And when I became a young adult, I really wanted black and white answers. And so Christianity was a, a fit for that. And it gave me a sense of safety, structure, and normality, which I was really looking for. As I matured, again, as we get into midlife, You, everything that you might have made assumptions about in your earlier life, you come to question and take out and look at, is this serving me? Is this a fit anymore? And we actually went all the way to going to a Christian college and serving as a pastor and family in a church and very much building our lives around that community to eventually we both uh, broken away from that and not in any kind of angry way, but in more of a, this just isn't really a fit for us anymore. We feel spiritually renewed in nature and we feel just as close to God there. And in Open Road, I had a completely unexpected, very out of the box spiritual encounter at a place called Emerald Pools in Zion, where I I don't know. I You just have to read the book to see because it's too hard to put it to words even now.
0: Yeah. I call it a, a place where the, the veil is thin. And yes. I, I often recount yes. these things in in my novels as, as sort of memories in my character, whatever, but a place where you just feel like something more spiritual is going on in this place yes. and you are not alone in this place. And something about it, like someone else could could be there and not feel the same thing. I think there's almost a mm-hmm. you have to be in the right state, the world you're in mm-hmm. has to be in the right state and natural beauty does play a part I think in that.
1: Yes. Yes. It feels like entering where time is very very thin, the separation mm. between the past and the present, the sense of of culture is very thin where in that moment I had words in Hawaiian to pray and I'm white, you know, although I'm a third generation person who grew up in Hawaii and had internalized Hawaiian to a level that I didn't even know. But I was with these other cultures that were the Native Americans that were there long before us and their spirits are still suffusing certain areas. So that all sounds sort of woo woo, but I think everyone knows what I mean when I'm saying that. That there are certain places that that surpass all known boundaries, and we can, when just a moment in time, it's like a little portal, and maybe just for that day and that moment, it was open, and you saw in for a second, and mm. then another time, it wouldn't be the same at all. Yeah,
0: it's funny as you were talking there. I was just, I was trying to put my finger on it. And um, have you read How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan? no it's about no. psychedelics and i know you come from a hippie background Ooh, so but yeah. it's like, this is more psychedelics for mental health and and things like this and mm-hmm. they talk about using psychedelics in fear of death when people are dying and they have terminal mm-hmm. illness and mm-hmm. that some people on um using particular natural drugs uh reach mm-hmm. a point where they feel at one with the world and they're not mm-hmm. afraid they're not afraid of death anymore
1: mm-hmm. and
0: that it, and that, as you say, that sense of time disappears, the sense of you being separate disappears mm-hmm. and you actually mm-hmm. feel like, okay, life goes on, but in, in a much more holistic way. And again, getting mm-hmm. woo woo for people listening, but I feel mm-hmm. like this is so important. And one of the reasons mm-hmm. I, I love the book and I mentioned to you, I talked to Ginny Reddy about Wonderland and, ha- mm-hmm. and I've f- think about this all the time and you can't chase these experiences because they don't happen on right. demand but when no. they do happen they stick in your memory so much
1: yes absolutely and they can become something that you can hang your hat on you know even if you have a hard time defining what it was or how it fits into a known schema in in mental health we call it schemas when we have a a framework that we've developed around how we understand and interpret life. And as a former therapist, I'm always one of the key things to therapy and helping people is helping them change beliefs that are no longer serving them. You know, we internalize beliefs because they helped us at one point in our life. But midlife to me is such a key time because it's about assessing all of those schemas and saying, which ones no longer fit or has my life experience borne out this assumption, you know, and we test and try and look at things. And again, that process of hiking, that process of traveling, or even as I like to ride along in a car and gaze out the window and, and there's this flow of thought that's happening. it's a constant assessing of what is still true for me and what can I do to set my life up to be the most meaningful and enjoyable for the time I have left, because we truly do reach this point where we're like, oh, we're not immortal. We've all had (laughs) enough experiences that we know, oh, the clock is ticking.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Coming back to the body and the physical side, obviously you've said you have some health issues. You say in the book, you and your husband are middle-aged, semi-fit art and nature lovers. (laughs) And it's like, I think sometimes when people say, oh, the national parks, and they think you have to be some super fit, you know, skinny hiker or like really muscly hiker and used to doing all, all this stuff. And you also in the book talk about some anxieties that you had mm-hmm. and some stress mm-hmm. and some challenging aspects. We know we can't say this is all beautiful vistas and spiritual moments. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, right. what was, yeah, so what was some of the physical and mental challenges that you found uh, in the trip?
1: I think the the most interesting one that I discovered about myself was that I have a form of anxiety that's related to agoraphobia. So it's this sense of when things are too vast, too deep, too too overwhelming, I get uh, paralyzed almost. And it it has happened to me at certain key moments, and yet I was still driven to seek out these settings. So. Like at night, this one time I had, I was laying on my back looking at the starscape over Haleakala. So it's, again, 10,000 feet up. There's very little. The air is very pure and clear. The stars were so immediate. It felt like you could reach up and touch them. And I I was overwhelmed with the sensation that I was going to fall into space. And I literally clung to the rocks next to me. I clung to the rocks and I kept telling myself, this is an illusion. What is happening here? But repeatedly throughout the trip at the edge of the Grand Canyon, I had the same thing. I had to crawl on my belly over to the edge to look off because I was so sure I was going to fall, you know, and how did I work with it? First of all, by being determined to overcome it, I'm going to keep putting myself in these settings because the reward is so great. I'm not going to let my fear keep me from that. So I think anyone struggling with um, something that's holding them back, that has to be your number one, like, no, I'm not going to give into this. And then exploring the mystery of it. There was something about it. Another time it happened was as we were going into Alaska on the ferry, and I realized the vastness of Alaska, and and Joe, as someone from a small country like Britain, which is very self-contained, to be in a to be in wilderness that is so epically large that you can travel day after day after day after day and only see the same thing over and over again, it's it's there's something like I don't even know how to put it in words. To have that experience is well, there really is enough trees in the world, <laughs> at least at this corner. So I discovered that about myself. And my hope is that our next journeys, we are bringing along a travel trailer mm. and I seem to be able to recharge from my anxiety by going into like a little den on wheels. You know, If Humans are animals, and when you think about it, I'm a little den animal, and I need to go. Like I've had too much stimulation, I need to go into my cave now. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's my hope is mm.
0: that will help. Well, that's definitely you know part of being an introvert as well as the sort of overstimulation is very very tiring, and Mm -hmm. when you are on a a huge vista and you're looking around and there's so much of it. And uh, I traveled in Australia. So I know that sort of massive feeling that that space feeling, but I I don't Mm -hmm. have the same anxiety as you. In Mm -hmm. fact, as you were talking there, I have a kind of different one, which is I'm scared to go close to the edge because I think I might jump off. (laughs) Wow. I know, which is a really weird thing. And I have this thing where I won't drive at night because I have a compulsion about driving into headlights.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That's very, very interesting. That's very interesting. Very good oh, fuel for, for digging in and finding what is behind that.
0: I did write it's, about that in my book, Delirium, and, and I find it a, an interesting behavior that I control mm-hmm. by by being careful. And it's not because I have yeah. a, death, a death wish, uh, you know, I'm very happy with my life, but it's interesting how we we have to feel the feelings like about the edge yes. of the canyon, which is a very human feeling not to want to go to the edge of the canyon, but then also understand why. And yeah, so that is fascinating. And what about, like you talked there about the trailer. I also wonder about this idea of comfort zone. And like sometimes I think you wrote about this particular Hawaiian snack that you had mm-hmm. at one point and mm-hmm. you were so anxious and having the snack just made you feel comforted. And sometimes mm-hmm. you just need to do that. And you said, um, I understand mm-hmm. why Americans have McDonald's overseas. <laughs> yes, I
1: finally, I finally got it when I, we went on this road trip and everything, there is this psychic exhaustion that happens when you're on a long trip because you're constantly adjusting to something new. And uh, again, you don't have to be an introvert, but I am one. And that's even, so it's even more taxing to constantly have new surroundings and everywhere you go, it's something new, and you're navigating constantly. So, if you've ever moved to a new town, everybody's had that experience. There's this we call it disequilibrium in uh, mental health. It's a sense of of constantly trying to assimilate all the this new information in order to get back to homeostasis. So, homeostasis is a is our place of comfort where we life is predictable we know what's happening and our emotions are in a balance when you're on a long travel there is there's this stimulation seeking that most of us who love travel we have that side and i have that side and my husband even more so he's much more of a stimulation seeker so he wants to get those adrenaline highs and he wants to constantly have variety i like that but i also like i need to go to my cave and recharge and so did i did i wander off oh okay so where i wandered off was that one of the things that's always bothered me is that we had mcdonald's in paris and things like that like <laughs> why why and now i was like well when you're traveling you're exhausted from everything being new and different and at a certain point you just need something to be familiar and that's why you go to walmart or that's why you go to mcdonald's and it's just a human a human trait
0: yeah, I totally agree. And uh, it'll be interesting uh, about this trailer. So tell us about this, because you said your next journey, you'll have this travel trailer. So w- what are you planning next? And, and what are some of, of the things you learned that will help you change the way you do it next time?
1: Well, one of the key things is that I need to continue my health routines. So since the book open road. I've made major strides in my health and reclaiming my body. I've lost uh, lost the 30 pounds. I've had some physical changes done surgically to help me get regain my mobility. I now practice yoga, meditation and eat a very sugar-free diet because again those things I want that longevity in my life. I want to keep having experiences and be in optimal health. And that does not happen by accident in modern society. I'm sorry. it's Everything is conspiring against you in the modern world. You really mm. have to carve out a different health routine and, and eating routine to stay healthy. So that will come with me on the trip because of my anxiety anxiety our best problem solving was to try trailering. So we, we had an evolution with that, starting with a really small trailer up to now what we're driving around in, which is a 21 footer. And that's still considered a small trailer, but it's as big as we want to go. There are ones the size of a city block, and they're just crazy to me. But, <laughs> um, but it did. It, we have done enough trailering to know that we're about to embark right at the end of this month on a on what's going to be my third book called Passages: Camping in Changing Times, and I plan to encompass what it's you know climate change, what's been happening to the world through COVID, and also. What it's like to live on the road for an extended period. We're going from four to six months. And we're not just doing national parks, we're exploring the off the beat off-the-beaten track, um, what they call the blue roads and back roads of the United States. And I'm really looking forward to writing about that. So I'm doing a newsletter along the way on the platform Substack. And it's called Passages. You can look it up if you're interested in following along. There's a free subscription there. I'll put a link in the show notes. Four to six months. To me,
0: that is, it's not why well, I suppose it's long-term travel or more, you know, digital nomad because you're going mm-hmm. to continue with your business as, as a writer. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you, you write mm-hmm. other books, you have readers and all these types of things and, and your husband as well. Because of the last trip for this open road trip, this was a shorter time. So you could be like on holiday uh, where yeah. this is almost like you have have to juggle work and email, and yes. uh, so that's quite different too, right? I, that, I think I would struggle with that.
1: Yeah, we've um, set up as many systems as we could that were automated. All of our bills, we we've rented our our house to minimize the overhead. We have. I just was packing all my office supplies into a little plastic. Yeah, it's going to be different. I, I I don't have all the answers. And I don't know how it's because all we've done is, is the longest one we've done so far was one month in our trailer. And we were evacuated for fires here in California. <laughs> and that was absolutely terrifying, by the way, that'll be part of the passages book is, is the effects of climate change in some of our more beloved areas. And it's, it's not a good trend. But living, we were forced into living for a month in our trailer because of evacuation. And that was also just living. You know, how do you get your Wi-Fi? It was always like pull up to a restaurant and try to poach some. <laughs> but that's been written about a lot. And I don't find it as interesting as um, the the deeper journey you know, of, of truly experiencing something new and different each day. And I am bringing along the things that make me comforted, including my dog. So my little dog Koa will be traveling with us. And I think that will also help a lot with that sense of being unsettled and exhausted that I struggled with in the past.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. And we will look forward to that. And uh, I also, I like talking about the deeper side of books and travel, obviously. Uh, So Mm -hmm. apart from your own books, what are some travel memoirs or books about the USA that you recommend? And we have recommended books on Hawaii that we
1: talked about last time. So do you Mm -hmm. have some more? Yes, I just read an absolutely intense travel memoir called Epic Solitude by Kat Keith, and she's one of the first women to win the Iditarod, which is a very famous dog sled race in Alaska. And prior to that, she hiked the Pacific Crest Trail. And she was just this woman who was born to try to overcome challenges. And this book is so filled with heart and emotion. And it just wrung tears out of me. And I was just in chills the whole time. So I can't say enough. Good Things About Epic Solitude, if if you are drawn to adventure travel memoirs, Wild by Cheryl Strayed is a absolutely fascinating memoir about p- hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, but also exploring grief. And that was one of the ones that inspired me in my writing. A Walk in the Woods by Bill Bryson is a more hilarious um funny hiking national parks book uh, by a well-known writer. And I really like lately Barry Lopez's writing. I love his writing. He is so lyrical and so deep. And his personal memoir about this life, has also inspired me. I talk about uh, a book that I highly recommend in Open Road called The Anthropology of Turquoise by a woman named Ellen Melloy. And she was, when I read this, and I read it on the road trip, and I talk about the experience of reading this book that was just like so well written that it made me stop you know when you read a line and you just stare into space and you go holy smokes that's art this was this woman's writing and and i eagerly got to the end of the book to find out more about her because i felt so connected with her and discovered that she had died suddenly of a heart attack soon after the publication of the book and i grieved with tears and I realized I had this epiphany that that's the kind of writer I wanted to be, that someone whose writing was so fresh, so immediate, and so took you into their experience that it was a form of eternity. And I know that's a big thats a big ask and that's a big goal, but we get to have big goals, don't we, as writers? Oh, we, yeah. get to, we get to have everests and not just one of them. So I highly recommend The Anthropology of Turquoise. And also, the best travel writing in the USA anthology comes out every year. I'm reading the 2019 one right now, so it's called Best Travel Writing. You can just plug that in, and there's one every year, and they're pulled out of uh, paid, you know, subscription magazines like the New Yorker and National Geographic, and they're it's a com- it's an anthology and of shorter pieces, and it will totally wet your appetite for places all over the world. Because it's not just the United States, but uh, many wonderful settings.
0: Oh no, there's, there's some great ones there. <laughs> there's always a problem. I, I always go away and order more books, and I just I'm surrounded right. by travel
1: <laughs> books. <laughs> it's a way to it's a way to travel when you can't travel
0: oh absolutely goodness me and I guess you'll be doing a lot of e-reading in your trailer Mm -hmm. because you won't have any room for lots of physical books but um, it's true yeah that's fantastic so where can people find you and your books online and also your husband Mike's gorgeous photographs which I know you also have a link to
1: Yeah. TobyDale.net is my website and I've got all my fiction stuff and the memoirs there. And on the website page for uh, Open Road, if you look for that, there is a link to Mike. A lot of the stories in the book are the stories of us trying to get the shot because my my husband's a (laughs) photographer and getting the shot, quote, quote, is it's it's like me, I, I likened it to being married to a hunter who who needs to get that piece of big game with his camera in every setting and um, so it just didn't it didn't seem right to just talk about the experience of getting the photos without having some way for people to see the photos but when we tried to print them in the print book they just didn't translate well at all in black and white these little thumbnails so we created a fifteen dollar magazine with quotes that you can see the the gorgeous full-size photos and also a calendar which is a practical way and that's my original inspiration for the trip was a calendar so now Mm. we have our own calendar of Mike's photography and those links are there too uh, for people who love photos.
0: Fantastic well thanks so much for your time
1: Toby that was great. I totally enjoyed sharing my love of travel and books.
0: Thanks for joining me today on the Books and Travel podcast. I hope you found a moment of escape. You can find the episode show notes at booksandtravel.page and if you enjoy thrillers set in international locations, download one of my books for free at jfpen.com forward slash free. Happy travels until next time.